0: This is a place called Bastrop, a podcast focused on the people in a small town in Central Texas. A place both unique and characteristic of the state's history, with a cultural integrity that unfolds with each passing year. This is a place called Bastrop. Welcome to the final episode of our three-part series on the 10th anniversary of the Bastrop Complex fires i'm ken keslas your host today with lucian perkins
1: ken in the last episode richard fritz gave a moving account about his love for the lost pines and the home he built near them he lost both to the fire as bastrop's historian after all you've written four books on the subject tell us what the lost pines has meant to bastrop
0: well first of all the Lost Pines have been deeply embedded in Bastrop's culture. In fact, as far back as I can remember, a legend made the rounds of town. A fanciful story about how the trees took root begins centuries ago when two warring Indian tribes needed to reconcile their differences. And they called on an East Texas chief to come in and try to settle the dispute. The chief brought along his princess daughter. Of course, The son of one of the Central Texas chiefs fell in love with the princess, and they got married and remained in what is now Bastrop County. But the princess greatly missed her East Texas pines. So to ease her grief, the parents of both arranged for Braves to plant pine seedlings on the barren hills overlooking the river. Eventually, they grew into a great forest.
1: Beautiful, Ken. Could you give us some historical context about the Lost Pines of Bastrop?
0: Sure. The trees are called the Lost Pines of Texas because they are disconnected by many miles from the Great Southern Pine Belt. A unique geological process produced this anomaly. The last ice age pushed plant life south and west so that pines covered most of Texas. As the ice subsided, the trees retreated to their present location, ending nearly a hundred miles east of Bastrop County. Only in this unique area did they hold out and remain in isolation. The Bastrop Pines also developed unique features to compensate for a drier and warmer climate. When settlers from America began to populate this area, the Pines provided the first industry. Austin's first buildings were constructed using Lost Pines lumber. And the milled pines were sent as far away as San Antonio and the Rio Grande. Throughout the decades, large tracts of the forest were cut over several times, but the trees continually regenerated themselves. The last major harvesting took place nearly a hundred years ago. Eventually, mature trees dominated the region, giving joy to campers and hikers, and giving rise to hundreds of homes built by people who enjoyed their beauty no less than a legendary Indian princess. So, Lucian, that brings us back to the story of the 2011 complex fire.
1: Thanks, Ken. Well, let's go on to Episode 3, where you interviewed Wade Powell, now the habitat coordinator for the Bastrop State Park. However, 10 years ago, during the fire, he was a firefighter for the Texas Forest Service. He explained to us why the fire swept through the Lost Pines so quickly and what the Park Service is doing today to protect
2: them. So, on the first operational period of the fire, I was on a Type 6 Wildland engine, essentially a pickup truck with a tank and a pump on the back of it. You weren't necessarily thinking beyond the tasks at hand, you know, what you were doing, but in the back of your mind, there was the knowledge that this landscape was gonna be changed forever, or at least for a very long time. Even at the time before the fire, I think there was a bit of apprehension that the way things were was not necessarily sustainable. Yes, we had these magnificent, mature, big pine trees, but underneath them, we had 20 foot tall yopon. We had native but very aggressively invasive shrub to the area. What we call ladder fuels stretched all the way from the forest floor to the bottom branches of these ancient pines. And there was a knowledge, at least among practitioners in the fire world, that hundreds of years of fire suppression and different land uses, logging, grazing, but most importantly, the exclusion of fire from the landscape, had allowed that understory brush to really take over. And what had been a very open stand of pines like what we passed on the way in here was now really choked up with all this other second growth. And we know that in the past that would have burned almost yearly. And that would have kept the forest floor clean. You would have seen a nice diverse grass community growing up underneath those pine trees a community that would have supported all kinds of species that may not even be here anymore, and that that had all really been kind of invaded by these shrubby plants over time. So there was already an understanding before the fire that there needed to be something done to try to get back to that balanced ecosystem, Uh, one where fire was a healthy and natural part of the landscape as opposed to a destructive force we could burn it at a temperature and with winds that it wouldn't kill the overstory trees, but it would target those invasive shrubs and start pushing it back towards that open forest or open woodland that has good native grasses growing underneath. I think what you're
0: saying is that 10 years later, mm-hmm. we're aggressively doing what we hear in the news is controlled burns. Correct. That simulates what happened for centuries from lightning fires and that sort of thing, and so ten years later we're really a lot smarter than we were when I was a volunteer firefighter in the '60s, and we put out every brush fire and everything we could find. And so it's our fault that we had this disaster ten years ago. I won't take the full blame, but we we did plenty of that, and it hurt. Can you describe what we're seeing in terms of ten years ago and today?
2: Yeah. So the trees that germinated immediately following the fire either were planted or germinated on their own. At this point, they're 10 years old and they're anywhere from 10 to 20 feet tall. In most places of the park, that's what they look like.
0: So how long will it be before those 10 year old trees are fully mature trees?
2: Colin, do you know the answer to that? How long it takes uh, before they reach sort of their terminal height?
3: So we estimate the age of the forest pre-wildfire to be about 80 years. And the reason behind that is because when the Civilian Conservation Corps came in to build the park, they came upon a denuded landscape. All the trees were harvested to build Austin and San Antonio. Not only did they build a lot of the infrastructure and buildings in the park, but they did a huge reforestation effort where they planted a lot of trees about 80 years after that is when the complex wildfire happened so the trees that popped up since 2011 to look the way they did pre-2011 we're estimating about 80 years
0: we're here also with the superintendent of the bastrop state park would you introduce yourself
3: sure my name is cullen sarter and i'm the site manager of bastrop state park
0: another question for um, either of you is Do you know what percentage of the
2: trees in the park, or maybe the entire forest, uh, were destroyed? Colin, correct me if I'm wrong, but according to studies that were made in the years following the Bastrop Complex, they found that as many as 95% of the trees within the burn scar
3: died. That may be within the burn scar, which is the 34,000 acres, not specifically the park. Right. If you're asking specifically within the park, fire touched 6,500 acres, so 96%. But just because fire touched it doesn't mean that it destroyed it. The rest of it was burned at different intervals, which created different impact, but not the severe impact.
0: Another issue besides the trees is uh, driving in, we saw those wonderful Mount Selman stone buildings. Where do we stand today with those buildings as opposed to 10 years ago?
2: During the first operational period of the fire, park staff responded very quickly to get around and defend the historic structures on the park. It's really a testament to their hard work and pre-planning that they were able to save every structure in the park.
0: So as those trees grow for 70 years to get mature, the buildings stay the same for this amount of time. I wanted to ask you uh, something I heard somewhere in the Lost Pines lollies are genetically different slightly at least from the east texas trees i heard that they collected two million seeds you know that story
2: i know parts of the story maybe not the whole thing what well
0: here's you? what i heard uh <laughs> that they collected seeds or they grafted somehow the loblolies onto east texas trees and they had two million seeds frozen for 10 or 15 years and somebody said we're never gonna need these (laughs) and they were 30 days out from unplugging the freezer
2: so yeah yeah the one thing i do know about the seed source is that it is the local genetics so these trees are the native lost pines loblolly or the drought hardy
3: loblolly the genetics come from this stand so well in the park we have several trees that are 200 years old right we know which ones those are and there were two seed sources there was the initial seed source which is the story that you had about this seed Mm -hmm. bank that was collected and almost lost and then maybe 2014 2015 we actually went around and picked pine cones from the 200 year old trees and then sent them off and had those seeds grown. That's when he's saying Even better. that there are trees that are sourced from here. They are literally sourced from these <laughs> trees that are standing and were grown out and brought back here. So that would be the same as if those seeds fell onto the ground and we were just able to place them in areas where there wasn't a seed source from mature trees.
1: Let's say the same
2: exact conditions 10 years ago happened today. What would happen? So if we were to see if the conditions that we had in 2011 again today and mind you those conditions were very extreme not only was the relative humidity below 20 percent which around here is bone dry and winds were above 20 miles per hour which is very fast it was like putting a blow dryer on the forest but we were also coming out of a historic drought so it had been over a year since we had had the normal amount of rainfall in the area if we were to intercycle again like that and then have that perfect storm, if you will, of those dry, hot, windy conditions. I think there are some things that would be different. For one, we have treated more of the area on the park, and we have it in not only one treatment, but we have it in a burn rotation. Again, we're trying to imitate the natural cycle of fire on the landscape, repeated low intensity fires, that's the name of the game. So even when those hotter fires come through, they do less damage. Speaking from State Park's perspective, the fire program is even larger than it was before. The qualifications of the firefighters are better. They now have 10 plus years under their belts in addition to what they already had. The things that we've put in place here hopefully would dampen the effects of that worst case scenario. We've brought the ceiling down on what the worst case scenario actually looks like. From this point going forward, like what do the next 10 years look like? What are the next 15 and and beyond look like? There is a management plan that is being written for this park that's based on a desired future condition which looks at the forest and imagine what it looked like before fire suppression. So our goal is to use that fire as destructive as it was as sort of our starting point to getting back towards the natural systems and the forest structure that were here since time immemorial.
0: We want to thank you very much uh, for taking up your valuable time in the middle of the summer when uh, people are coming to the park and wanting to enjoy it. So this will be um, this will be available to the public, and we hope a lot of people will benefit from what you've told us. So thank you so much for being with us.